you would allow me to. Because I believe the church is the most important institution apart from marriage on this earth. I believe that in the church, everyone should gather under the banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we should love the church because God loves the church and gave his life for her. And he commands us in 1 Timothy to love the church. So if you will indulge me for a moment to push the envelope of who God wants to bring into the church and how God wants to bring them in. Oh, yes, he brings them in through the gospel. It is Christ alone. He is the gospel, his person, his work. But the method by which we communicate it Dear brothers and sisters, I want to push that envelope. So prior to pushing that envelope, let me read to you the first two verses in 1 Timothy. If we could start taping. 1 Timothy chapter 1. one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. We're entitling this series... Is this Sunday yet? Because we're wanting to communicate a love for the church because the Savior has given us new life that says, is it Sunday yet? In the same way, and I don't mean to cheapen church by this illustration, but in the same way, just really, I, as a football fan, would say, is it football time yet? For me, I love college football. Is it Saturday yet? I do. I love it. But may it never be that I love that more and say with more zeal, is it Saturday yet? Is it time to watch a good college football game yet? Though I may anticipate it, though I may enjoy it, and I do. But, oh, friends, may I say with much more strength in my heart, is it Sunday yet? Is it the best day of the week yet? Do I, do I get to be with my friends and worship God in a unique context that I really do value? I show that I value it by my attendance, by my participation, by my enthusiasm. Is it Sunday yet? If that's not your experience, that's fine. I believe God through his word and his spirit these next five months that we're going to be looking at the book of 1 Timothy will make it your experience. And you will be passionate about that which holds God's passion, the church. It is, after all, the body of Christ. He being the head of it. Well, when I was thinking about this series, I thought, what could be our theme song? I wanted to give it a theme song. 
Now, I'm revealing much here. I like talk radio. I like sports talk radio. I don't suggest it for you. It often is rough and ready. I wouldn't suggest it for your sons. But I'm just telling you, I like it. I don't listen to it as much as I used to, but I like it. And so if there is a particular show, they always choose a lead-in song. So that when you're driving and all of a sudden you hear that song, you know, okay, it's time for... And whatever show it is. And that show becomes identified with a, a, a melody, a theme. So I've chosen a song, friends. And it's a song that was written by my dear friend, Kurt Allen, whom I will uh, introduce in a moment, so hang on. And I just thought, let's choose the song. It's called This Is That. But really the hook to that song is, you got it, is it Sunday yet? Is it Sunday yet? And so for the next five months, right before the sermon starts, right as the break is about to wind down, you're going to hear a song played. We're going to pipe it out into the hallways. And when you hear that song played, I want you to start thinking, it's time for the sermon. Let's get back in there. Let's have our seat. And I've chosen a song that's hip-hop, which is not necessarily your genre, maybe. I didn't grow up with it. But, oh, friends, I've chosen a song that you, could, you would have a hard time finding better theology about the church in. It's a song that I think represents 1 Timothy. It's a song that communicates 1 Timothy to a young man or a young woman that's grown up in hip-hop, that's grown up in reggaeton, that's grown up with that beat, that's not going to hear me say it with 19th century Western European song and melody, or even my vocabulary. But we'll hear it in this song. Do we love sinners? Do we want them to hear the message? Well, I pray you do, and I pray you indulge me, because for the next four minutes and 15 seconds, you will be listening to a song on these speakers. And I realize that not all of you have your ears trained to hip-hop jargon. So I have provided with you the words of the song. So I would encourage you, as you listen to this song, read the words. And I'm being very serious about this. You you read those words, and you think about the thousands of men and women that right now are lost They're on their way to hell. They are blind and they are dead. And there are many in that number in our neighborhood that God has elected. That God will save like he saved us. That God will add to this church and other churches for his glory. And let your heart beat for the church. This is that. Apollo 
just turn me up just a little bit. I've been around the world like Lisa Stanfield. Been around the world and believed the plan's real. The heart of redemption is no exception. It's his suggestion and all his exception. Who are you to question? The way to progression is since recession. We gotta stay focused. The goal is to get to expert from Novus. So Christian, take notice. Christ started the church to combat the hopeless. It's more than a magnum opus. What the hope is not in the dopest. Independent who doesn't need church. Does not have a magical defendant. The body established to dwell in between heaven and hell. Will excel in this land of the savage. The church is the package delivered to the purchaser. Who father more or less of him is the murderer. Oh, it hurts, but it's true, man. This is that. This is that promise, that truth, that gospel that saves, that's changing you. Oh, this is that. Church, we God's people, yeah. we live yeah. awaiting yeah. his sequel. Now on my last line, some say that's absurd, man. But I be off the break like that's for sure, man. Perfect like you ain't with that what's the word, man. As if Christ ain't like hit the church doors, man. When Peter confessed, you are the Christ, he acknowledged the work. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Not on Peter, he was just a believer. But the foundation of him who knew no sin to God's retaliation and forgave nations of many. Different tribe and tongue, he set apart to live and to to become one that is joined, not one that separates. Able to go to church, but doesn't slap in the face for faces of the triune. We need to come together for corporate worship. Our relationship is no courtship, it's marital fidelity. That's part of the progress that's not unintelligibly linked to the process, Christian. This is that promise, that truth, that gospel that saves, that's changing you. Oh, yeah. We that church, yeah. we God's people, yeah. we live away in his seat. Oh. Now we do not forsake the assembly of saints that those have come to do in this day and age. We gather for a purpose on that day of the week to worship, but most importantly to hear God speak. See, we need that instruction to train and equip and rebuke. And when necessary, we learn to trust them and gather as believers. Listen, that a long range of Christian is a contradiction from what Christ taught us. We live as community and face all attacks on grace is our immunity. We soon to be united in him. Until then, the enemy is united and keeping us divided. I've seen people say they don't need to go to church. And the same people only grow in being hurt. And they susceptible to not repent of that pride because we need each other to tell each other sin is unacceptable. Listen. This is that promise, that truth, that gospel, that saves, that's changing you. Oh, yeah. this is that, this is that. Where you at? It's the church. We that church, we God's people. We live awaiting His sequel. Yeah, the more on the story, man. C H R C H. The only thing missing is you. It's the promise. It's how we grow. We gotta go to church, man. It's Sunday. Is you there? I don't see you in the pews, ho. Uh, it's that promise. It's that truth. It's how we go. Let's go to church.
Thanks for being faithful, Bill. All right. Let me introduce Kurt Allen. For those of you who don't know Kurt, uh, he is right now attending Covenant Life Church. Why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself, Kurt? Just introduce yourself to some of our folks who might not know you. I am Kurt Allen, and I am in my second home. Uh, my wife. I am accompanied by my w- lovely wife in the back, Betsy. And And I am a member of the, uh, the, the a sister church called Covenant Life Church in Gaithersburg, Maryland, of which this church is a family of. And I have the privilege to take the theology that you hear on Sunday mornings from this man and that we hear in other churches within our family of churches. And I'm, uh, by God's grace, able to take that through rap music and travel the country and perform and preach and just really bring about um, the God's purpose in places that sometimes aren't aware of God's purpose. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, mm. your passion mm. for doing this? Yeah, I, I grew up in hip-hop music. It was the music of my generation, music of my culture. And so I grew up listening to this um, in the neighborhoods of D.C. I grew up in uh, ghettos in Washington, D.C. area. And so as I got older, as the music grew, I appreciated the music. I liked it. I always loved to perform it. And the music um, that started off as really being fun became sort of more violent. It was almost as if you have to prove uh, how tough you are through the music. And because I was so attached to the rap music, my life also began to move in that direction. And so I was in gang violence. I was selling drugs, using drugs um, in a lot, of, um, a lot of situations where I had to use a gun because it was a life that I lived. And I was charged with multiple felonies, facing 43 years in prison. And uh, when I was in the courtroom, I remember turning around when the judge was going to sentence me and there was no one from the street in the courtroom. And the Lord really used that to show me that the world is a lie. But I still loved the music, but I knew that what it stood for was no longer what I could stand for because it wasn't even there to see me go to prison for the rest of my life representing what it stood for. So uh, the the Lord was very merciful and the judge threw out a lot of the prison time. I served a small period of time compared to what I was supposed to get. And then uh, a friend of mine who was attending this church who got saved at this church under this man who I am indebted to. That's why there's a special affection for this man, because that friend moved back to Gaithersburg and said, look, I'm going to this church. You got to come to this church. And so I started to come to this church and heard the gospel and really accepted the Lord and uh, began to take the very music that I was and the lifestyle that I was angry at and realized that I can take the very essence, the music, but change the content and make it about him as opposed to me and their we came and do this. All right, so talk to us. Talk to us about this song, my friend. What were you uh, thinking? Could you hear me just now? Am I on? Okay. What were you thinking when you wrote it? Mm-hmm. What's your heart and your passion? Before you start, let me ask you a question. Yeah. So who is Lisa Stan 
Stanfield. <laughs> Did we get it right? Yeah, Lisa Stanfield. Because right. um, you've been around the world like Lisa Stanfield. Yeah. Who is she? <laughs> Only Al would ask a question like that. Weren't you asking the same question? Who is she? All right. They all have the same okay. question. Only Al's church would ask a question like that. Um, Lisa Stanfield was a singer. She was like an R&B singer in the late 80s. And she had a song that used to go like, been around the world and I, yeah, yeah. And see, y'all know the song. Don't act like you know what you're doing. No, what? Come on. You're from Boston. What do you know about this? <laughs> So that my mom used to love this song. And I remember we drove to Pennsylvania. It was a three and a half hour drive. And I kid you not, I really believe and we didn't record this, but I really believe that my mom broke a world record for how many times you can play this song. So like I was like, oh, I hated this song because I heard it for three and a half hours. But, you know, after an hour I was singing it as well. But um, so I just when I, I thought I was that song was in my head and I just thought about the kindness of the Lord, how I, it was kind of a, a catch 22 was the kindness of the Lord and allowing me to travel. I have traveled the globe in some sense, and I have been able to perform in different countries. So I have done that. And I was referencing her. But then also I just thought about the churches everywhere as well. Is Nivian in here? Yeah. Have you been to India? I've been to India twice. Did you do a rap concert in India? I did a rap concert. <laughs> in, okay, Nivian, can you imagine in that? India. And it was... The greatest, strangest thing I've ever done in my life. So, I would have liked I, to have seen that, bro. I was, I was, it, was, it was amazing. It was amazing. All right. But All right. Uh, this, yeah, this let's, song, let's get to the song. What was in your heart when you wrote this song? I, uh, I, I felt like, I really feel like at times the church in and of itself doesn't have an identity within the church. I think that people separate themselves from the church, the gathering of believers, as if there's a context in which will grow apart from that. Now, obviously, there are health issues. Some people can't make it physically to gather with other Christians and, and hear God's word. And so God does provide you know, people on television to preach and things. But I feel like the body of Christ as a whole needs to embrace its identity that Christ, part of the reason why he came was to establish this, the church, the gathering of believers. And so um, I just, in my travels around the country, I didn't feel like there was a sense of that. People weren't excited about church. It was more like, I have to go rather than I want to go. And so I just thought, I wonder if people realize that Christ died to establish the church as part of it. Obviously, it was for the forgiveness of sins, and but establishing the church was his context in which that we would grow. And so we're, we're the bride, we're the bride of Christ in the church, and we'll be presented to God the Father as Christ purifies people. And so I felt like, man, people either don't believe this or they just don't care about it. And so I wanted to make a song that I felt like really would say the church is important. It's significant. It's connected to the life, death and resurrection of the Savior. Great. Well, my friend, it is a real joy mm. for us to be counted as your friends. Um, I mentioned earlier he is shooting a video here in Miami. It will be uh, a CD and a project that will be unique. You want to just give us a synopsis of the project and yeah. your heart for this project that's coming mm -hmm. out with well, a video with it, right? Yeah, it's a video. Uh, just to say that real quickly, uh, praise God for Anthony Donis. Yes. Um, and yeah, he's worthy of applause. I think that he is. Yeah. And I mean, realistically, this is realistic. This 
could not have happened without the Lord saving him and leading him to be generous. He approached me after I was here in October and just said, look, I just I feel like the Lord's placing on my heart to shoot a video for you for free. And I don't know if you understand how much goes into shooting a video, but it's not cheap. It's thousands of dollars. And he offered to do it for free and said, contact me after January. And so I just started a dialogue with him and he was really excited about it. And really, yesterday we were out all day. He was a one man production team. And it was really, it's really amazing. So thank you. Thank you, Tony, man. Thank you very much. The, uh, the vision for this album, it's not a voice album. Um, I, have, I've, I have friends, I'm still tell, very... Tell them who voices. Voices who I am as a Christian rap artist. But I, I'm very, very well still connected to the streets. I go there occasionally. I go to get my hair cut in the hood from people who are not Christians. I'm still connected. I still like to be around some of those guys just to say what's up, let them know I'm still here, let them know that there's still a certain love even though it's not on the street level. But I just felt like I would give these guys my Christian CDs and they would listen because they know me. But after two or three songs, they would just take them out because it's very difficult for someone who's pursuing the world to hear so much theology and embrace it. I'm, and I could be wrong. The Lord can do anything. But I just don't necessarily feel like that people are going to accept the Lord based on getting my Christian rap CD, which is really to edify the church. So the Lord gave me an idea to create another album under a different name and to use my life over the course of the album. So the album starts off when I was in the street and I narrate the album in between sections. So the first section is I'm in the street. Now, if you're just listening to the album, you'll think this is just a regular album. Now, obviously, there's language and things that I don't use that a street album would use. But you get a sense of this is what I was in the street. Then I narrate after I was in prison and I'm kind of talking about the consequences of living like I was on the street. And I start to see things differently because no one supported me when I was in court. No one came to jail and gave me money when I was sitting in prison. So there are songs where now I think differently. I'm starting to realize and regret the reality. Then I hear the gospel. And then those last few songs are my process of believing in the Lord. And so I felt like they can... I wanted to give them the process of change for me as opposed to here's just a Christian rap CD. Listen, it's like, no, I was just like you, man. I was just like you. I, I didn't believe in the Lord either. But then I realized that what I was living for is a lie. So hopefully so over the course of the whole album, it's a panoramic view. But I felt like it's a way that I can share the gospel. They kind of kind of sneak attack them, you know, just kind of <laughs> they'll listen, think it's just a street album. And then eventually hear the process of change that hopefully someone will get saved as a result of it. Excellent. So keep me in prayer for that. And we have to finish shooting today. But Tommy's doing such an excellent job. This first video is so important because it gives me a credibility on a street level that I need to grasp them in to, to really have them lead them to buy the album. You got a name for the album? Yet? The album's called A Public Controversy. A Public Controversy. And the name I'm using for that is Kurt Kennedy. Kurt Yeah, Kennedy. I've always liked the last name Kennedy. I thought I'd take it. That's <laughs> great, bro. <laughs> I love you, man. Thanks for coming up. Guys, let's say thank the Lord for Kurt Allen. All right, let's transition. Kurt Allen, think of Timothy. I know it's hard. 
You never imagined Timothy to look like that. I want you to think of Timothy. I want you to think of a young Timothy who gets saved. God saves him when the Apostle Paul cruises through his hometown. Because this book, 1 Timothy, is written by the Apostle Paul, a church planter, a leader in the church, to a young pastor. And God may call Kurt to be a young pastor at some point. He's going to our pastor's college this fall, is that correct? And then who knows, maybe plant a church. Who knows? So right now he's singing because that's a gift he has. He's rapping. He's trying to reach his, his community. He's doing it better than I could do it. Praise God. But he knows that long term he's giving himself to the church. That's what Timothy did. And we're reading this book with the same kind of awe and wonder and probably problems that Timothy had. And what is God saying to us in this book? Well, if you look at your notes, I believe the the burden of God in the first two verses, and actually I think in the whole book, is simply this. Obey God's command to love Christ's church. Obey God's command to love Christ's church. Why do I say that? Because this book forms part of three books that are called pastoral epistles. You might want to write that down on your notes. You might want to use your notes as your beginning theological training page or your middle theological training page. Or if you know everything there is to know about theology, your refresher theological training page. Because if you do know everything there is to know, you're probably old enough to now start forgetting things you knew. Like I do all the time. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus form what are called the pastoral epistles. Why are they termed that way? Because in these epistles, God writes to two men, Timothy and Titus, through his apostle, Paul, on how to care for the church. God's burden in the pastoral epistles is that the church have right doctrine and right practice. So therefore, they're called the pastoral epistles. Now, in this particular book, Paul introduces himself as the apostle or an apostle of Christ Jesus. Notice what it says in verse 1, by command of God. I believe that Paul uses that term command, which by the way, normally in his letters he uses the word by the will of God, because Paul is wanting to communicate to Timothy the absolute necessity of obeying the words in this book. This is not optional reading. Timothy, obey it. I am an apostle by God's command. Therefore, receive God's command. And I believe that Paul wasn't just writing to Timothy because this letter was probably read in the church. I believe Paul was writing to the letter to the church Timothy was pastoring. That church was in the city of Ephesus. The city of Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And it was a church that was a church-planting church. So actually, I think Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, perhaps to the church at Colossae, which was not too far away, or Laodicea. And so Paul uses the word, I'm an apostle by God's command. 
And he wasn't just writing to Timothy, and he wasn't just writing to the church at Ephesus. He was writing to you and to me 2,000 years later. And what he was telling us is this. Love the church. Love the church with all your heart. Love the church with everything within you. Make the church your passion. So I want to be clear in this first point. There in your notes. God commands us. I don't want anyone to leave here this morning thinking that church is optional. It isn't. I don't want anybody leaving here this morning thinking that tithing is optional. It isn't. I don't want anybody leaving here this morning thinking that home group attendance is optional. It isn't. I want to be very careful that you examine scriptures to see that scriptures teach us these practices. Only scripture can command you. Only God can command you, and he commands you through his scripture, which is his word. But these things are not extra credit Christianity. That's what I mean by optional. They're not what the really committed kind of Jesus freaks do. That's an old term I know from my generation. They're not what what sort of people that are part of a cult do. (laughs) Come on, don't look at me so seriously. You know, some of your parents have said, you're involved in a cult. They do what? They go to church when? God commands us. Will you obey God's command? And will you obey God's command to love the church as Timothy loved her? Second point. See, God commands us to love the church as Timothy loved her. Who is Timothy? Well, Timothy is probably Paul's convert. Now, when I say that, I understand that Paul can't save anyone. But Timothy was probably converted when Paul visited his hometown. Probably on Paul's first missionary journey. And Timothy is mentioned in Scripture. You might want to Jot this down. The first time he's mentioned in Scripture is Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 3. Acts chapter 15, verses 1 to 3. And it says in that section that we know a little bit about Timothy. He had a Greek father. In other words, he was a non-Jewish father. But he had a Jewish mother who was was a believing mother. Her name was Eunice. And... He had a believing Jewish grandmother named Lois. So you have a Greek father. We don't know his name, but we do know the name of his mother, Eunice, and of his grandmother, Lois. We also know throughout scriptures that Timothy travels with Paul. No time to list all of the scriptures, but Timothy is constantly traveling with Paul. He's going with him to share the gospel. He's staying in certain cities. After they run Paul out of the city, Timothy would stay there. He is sent by Paul as an apostolic delegate. In other words, if Paul is an apostle, then Timothy is sent as an apostolic delegate to places like Athens and Corinth, which are both in modern-day Greece. And ultimately, Paul sends him to Ephesus. 
This is this city with a large church that's a church planting church, and there are problems in the church. And so, so Paul sends Timothy to Ephesus on a very difficult, difficult uh, assignment. And he says, stay in Ephesus and teach right doctrine and make sure that they practice what you teach. Next week, we're going to have Jose Lo Mercado, also from the Pastors College, and he's going to preach on the right doctorate aspect of the purpose of this book. This morning, I'm wanting to preach the burden of loving the church like Timothy loved the church. He was a godly man. He had a rich heritage of biblical instruction. He, he was a family that was from a good reputation in the church. He's probably from a city called Lystra, which is where Paul went on his first missionary journey. That's probably where he was converted, modern-day Turkey, just right up around from Syria into Turkey. He was a faithful man. He was a loyal man. He was a trustworthy man. In fact, Timothy would have been highlighted by these words and just jot these words down next to Timothy or this passage down. Philippians 2, 19 to 24. Philippians 2, 19 to 24. And next to those words, I want you to write down, do I have a heart like Timothy's? Just, just write it down. Do I have a heart like Timothy's? Let me read this section to you. Philippians 2, 19 to 24. Paul is writing of his friend Timothy. He's writing to a church in Philippi, which is in modern day Greece, just around from Turkey. And he writes these words to them. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Remember I told you he was an apostolic delegate, which was very dangerous work back then. You had to travel. Travel was very difficult back then. So he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Friends, the future of this church and every church depends on the Timothys of our generation. Who are the men and women that seek Christ's welfare, seek Christ's purposes, seek the welfare of others and not just themselves? Who will it be that loves the church, not just for what the church gives them, not just for what the church can do for them, not just because they have a certain ministry or it's a nice building or my kids have a great youth group, but love the church to give to the church for the welfare of the church who say it's not about me, it's about God, it's about his church, it's about his people. Are you that kind of person? That's what this five-month series is about. It's about you. 
Will you respond to the gospel and love the church like Timothy loved it? Or will you just love yourself and use the church for your own comfort? So like a spiritual insurance policy. Or your own well-being. Sort of like an ecclesiastical psychologist. He's my therapist I go to. I don't particularly love him. (laughs) Who loves their therapist? But he makes me feel better. I'm talking talking your life. I'm talking your future. I'm talking, what will you give yourself to? Yourself? Your career? Your bank account? your relationships, your mental health? Or will you give yourself to the bride of Christ? That's how passionate God is about the church. You know, he calls us his bride. Now, I know a little bit about men calling women their bride. I have a bride. (laughs) And I saw it afresh when the tall, gangly guy I told you about up here (laughs) asked someone very close to my heart, my daughter, to marry him on Friday. When they came home Friday night and spent the evening with us and Fernando's mom, Isabel, was with us and told us about it, their faces were glowing. You didn't have to ask Fernando, is it Vanessa time yet? He's asking me, is it Vanessa time yet? Is that how you feel about the church? Or is she just some whatever? Do you really anticipate seeing her? By the way, you know, what, you know who the church is. You know what the church is, right? Look to your right. Look to your left. Look behind you. Look in front of you. Unfortunately, look at me. Uh, <laughs> we're the church. I don't think that it's an exaggeration to say we should be as passionate about seeing the church, one another, and being together in whatever context the church is happening, whether it's a Sunday morning, whether it's a home group, whether it's an outreach. I don't think it's a stretch to say we should be as passionate as that man is right now about seeing my daughter. And it's appropriate, and I love it. Within appropriate bounds, they're in love. Don't you understand, friend? God said, you want to look at how the church and Christ should relate? Look to a good marriage. Don't you understand that? There's supposed to be passion and an excitement to see one another. That's what this series is about. And it's not an optional feature of Christianity. It's standard. You'd expect when you buy a car for it to have two doors, right? You don't expect the, the, the salesman to say, hey, got a great price for you on that uh, Tahoe. It's only, you know, $13,000. You walk out, there's no doors. <laughs> Where's the doors? Oh, well, the doors are extra. They're $5,000 each. Oh, right. You would say, get out of here, buddy. Well, it would be as silly to go buy a Tahoe where the doors aren't standard as it is to have a Christianity where you're lukewarm about the church. 
That is not biblical Christianity. It's not. It's not. It may be the practice of the church in America, but it's not biblical. Final point. God gives us grace. Oh, we're going to need it, aren't we? (laughs) Mercy and peace to obey his command to love the church. Oh, friend, here I want to highlight for you God's previous activity in our lives. Kurt would tell you that it was God who worked on Kurt totally apart from Kurt seeking God. So Kurt would want to emphasize for you God's sovereign grace. Grace. Paul ends this first introductory section saying, grace, mercy, and peace to you. Why? Because grace indicates God's power to enable us, friends, to obey him. Grace is what gives you the ability to come on a Sunday morning and really want to be with me. Because I'm not easy to be with. I'll admit to you that. And sometimes you're not so easy to be with either. <laughs> so grace is what enables us to say, I'm, I really am excited about meeting with the church this morning, though I know I've got a conflict with so-and-so. And I know maybe this one, yeah, and I know that one. Grace is what gives me the ability to write that tithe check every month. and Go, ouch, this is an SUV payment. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm not driving an SUV. Grace. Grace is, grace is what enables us to go on a Wednesday night when our marriage is in trouble and to say it's couples night and I'll turn to my wife and say, honey, let's be real for the first time perhaps in our lives because we need help. And grace says, guys, we want to share. We're having trouble in fill in the blank. And instead of getting rejected and people gossiping about us because that is not going to happen here or if it does, we will stop it immediately. Suddenly you become so close. And God gives you the ability to now overcome a sin in your marriage that you hadn't been able to overcome for 20 years and you overcome it and there's joy. And God is glorified and I love the church. It's not a a fairy tale. It's not a Disney fairy tale. I know it's hard. That's why we need grace. And he gives us mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is that which deals with the pain and the misery of our sin. Some people have said that the difference between mercy and grace is that mercy deals with the kind of the results, the misery, the distress 